It's not the despair, Laura. I can take the despair. It's the hope I can't stand. The immortal words of Brian Stimpson uh, from Clockwise. Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's H for hope. And it's a really interesting one to, for me to talk about today because I have had my hopes dashed couple of times this week and we're just waking up this morning you know I I woke up two days ago at 7 30 to get news about where I live uh, which dashed a a hope of a certain amount of security and stability Uh, and then I went I've got to stop waking up at 7 30 and switching my phone on this is this is what happens you know I think that 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 (laughs) gets us right into a meaty topic right away if 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 I may which is the, the sort of hope versus expectation, and I think there was a there was a sort of an ex. You have an expectation, I think, to do have a you know a, a home that isn't going to be pulled from under you, and I think that's a fair expectation. You know, it's not a hope. It should, you know, it should be a little uh, bit more baseline than that. Well, well, yeah, I think. Well, there's we're kind of getting into the weeds really now of of hope versus expectation yeah. versus healthy entitlement. Oh sure, okay, yeah. And I and it's it depends on you know how you frame it mm. really. As in, you know, I think I have a. I think we all have a healthy entitlement or sense of healthy entitlement towards a a dwelling which is safe and secure and supportive and. I, I'm, and by that I mean supportive in health wise as well. You know, mm. doesn't have damp. Doesn't you know? I, I grew up in a house where there was like damp and electrical wires hanging out and things. So you know, <laughs> so when when I think about healthy entitlement, you know, my bar is quite low. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then you know, expecting that I think you know today's expectations are tomorrow's resentments. Oh, hello. Yeah, I I don't know. Feel free to Google that one. I might sure. belong to someone else, but okay. but it's certainly been the one that I've always, you know, known about. And you know, I think hope is a more well. It depends on how you how you define it. You know, mm. it's can be more a more fragile thing, a more nebulous thing. Mm-hmm. Although I'm going to talk about some theorists which which poke severe holes through that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, having having the hope. That you can make a request of someone, and it be and it be met. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, and I think that's a more interesting, more nuanced thing than. Um, you know, I might have a healthy entitlement, a sense of healthy entitlement towards someone responding. I might have a hope that they respond in a particular kind of way, but I think to expect them to places undue weight on all parties concerned. Yes, and that would take us into definitely the weeds when we get into expectations versus agreements, and that's a whole other... That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll make some mental notes for which yeah. one that might fall under. <laughs> no, indeed. Um, instead, why don't we talk about Viktor Frankl? Yeah, because I think this is what... You know, it's very interesting how your opening line contrasted hope and despair. <laughs> yeah. And and again, you know, for, for, for you know, I'll, I'll I'll dip into why, you know, the the two ends of that spectrum are are poignant for me. But certainly, you know, Viktor Frankl, who I think, you know, we all is famously the, the psychotherapist who 
wrote his time in the Nazi concentration camp in his book, you know, A Search for Meaning, you know, quotes Nietzsche when he says, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. I'll say that again. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. And this idea of hope being the why. I might need some help on that one. Because <laughs> I think I think this is this gets interesting because we, we are going to talk about our relationships with hope. Uh, and, and I think we have differing relationships with hope. Uh, and, and I know we'll get into that. But and this is so this is where I, I may hit up against that. So, I, I you know, can, can you can you walk me through that? I think if I mean, particularly, well, I'm going to kind of like relate it into my own life a little bit. You know, I think I've spoken uh, briefly at some time about how I despair quite easily. Mm-hmm. And the thing with, uh, and it's actually been extremely difficult for me to have hopes. Ironically, you know, I studied hope theory mm. uh, in the first three, for the first three to four months of the pandemic. I've actually mm. been like rereading la- late last night an essay I submitted, I wrote in the beginning of June 2020, which I think is a particularly interesting time to write about hope. <laughs> and when things are, when our immediate circumstances and surroundings are unavoidably fuel for despair being able to cultivate a glimmer of hope a light in the darkness the sense that it isn't an oncoming train <laughs> which is how my mind immediately goes to you know is is that a light you know in the darkness is that an oncoming vehicle you know uh-huh. <laughs> um having that glimmer that 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 moment of brightness the belief that tomorrow is going to be different can be a reason why to continue. I I'm trying to not to get too emotional right now, but I have had, you know, real periods of isolation mm. in my life, which has triggered social isolation, which has triggered the despair. Mm. I went without I didn't have a bubble. You know, do you remember those bubbles during the pandemic when yeah. you could only share like one other household? I didn't have I didn't even have that. I went I think it was maybe for seven plus months a time without any physical contact from from anyone. Other, I think I think it was broken only when I had a follow up COVID jab. I think the first nurse didn't even touch me; it was just the needle. The second time, the guy just rested his hand. The paramedic rested his hand on my shoulder, and I did this. I was just like I became very emotional because mm-hmm. it was the only contact I'd had. And it is incredibly difficult at those times to hope in my personal experience. And somewhere in my core, the hope that my current pain will end becomes a reason why I should hang around and find out and wait for that day to arrive. 
And I think that's possibly, you know, what Frankel Frankel is get is 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 alluding to. You know, why 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 should I carry on living if and, and this is something I've asked myself, um, you know, why should I carry on if all I can see is a future which continues my suffering in perpetuity and there isn't anything else on the horizon that I can look forward to. There's, there's like a, there's a hokey phrase which says, you know, happiness is, I think it's something to do, something to love and something to look forward to. Mm. And I think the hope aspect is there's something to look forward to. It's um, pre-gratitude, if you will. <laughs> there's, you know, connecting connecting back. It's a shame that the alphabet does what it does because um, it would be nice if we had if we had H before G. I mean, it would cause us all sorts of spelling problems, but <laughs> it might enable us to to have something to hope for that then we can, uh, I guess, be grateful for. Mm. Well, well, yeah, and I think, you know, this is why, you know, I'm deliberately choosing subjects that aren't easy for me. Yeah. Because this, you know, you, this is really interesting you touch on gratitude. You know, one of the ways which I have been able to orient, if not be able to dream, if not be able to, because I think there's dreaming in hope as well. Well, certainly there is, there is for me, but I, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, you know, the theorists have other, other ideas. Sure. But what do they know? They haven't got a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's a thing about too big a leap. There's too many steps going from despair to hope. You know, what are the inter, the in, the in-between steps, mm. you, know, towards cli- you know, towards moving in that direction? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, gratitude, you know, looking, being, being in that situation, which feels overwhelmingly dark and bleak and without hope and respite and actually readjusting one's gaze readjusting one's ability to be present so that yes everything is awful and the yes and of you know (laughs) like the core tenant of improv Mm. no yes yes i don't see any end to this and in this moment i'm warm and dry yes i don't know what the future holds with where i live which has a level of worry and anxiety for me because of financial things. And I have people in my life who can be of support to me if I do need to move. That's a remarkable reframing for, for a simple or single simple word, uh, you know, a, a, a conjunction word, you know, whatever that, that word is. Because that that changes so much from the but to the and because mm. it's so easy for us to because but feels very binary it's 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 on or off it's it's pivoting the thing that you're looking at it's saying it's this thing and it's it's it automatically sort of flips the negative to the positive or the other way around whereas and is is so more additive and that that addition i am in peril right now and there is someone who can help me is so much different. It feels so different. It's it's just a single word, but it feels very different. It feels like it's more available than saying "but." That feels hypothetical or theoretical somehow. There's there's two things that come to mind. One is the Pema Chodron thing question of "and what else is true," and also the uh, far far less enlightened thing of "everything before the but is bullshit." 
and, and, and actually, you know, I have actually learned to flip those things around. And so, you know, if someone invites you somewhere, you say, you know, that sounds lovely, but I can't go. Mm. Actually f- flipping it around. So I can't go, but thank you for inviting me. It sounds lovely. You know, so actually you, you, you leave people on the positive yeah. end of it. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, with a bit of acknowledgement that, yeah, if, if, if you're going to have two contrasting things, you know, where, where is the emphasis going to be? Yeah. Well, what can you tell me about Active Hope? Well, this is something which is from uh, Joanna Macy, whose work I, I only very, very barely know. But I know that she works with a wonderful guy as well called Chris Johnstone, who has amazing work on resilience. Mm. And I think that's another aspect of, of hope because she actually talks about, you know, she describes active hope as being about finding and offering our best response when facing concerns, and in, in her case, in, about our world situation. And I think there's something about, again, the acceptance of where we are. And this idea, I love this idea of finding and offering our best response. Mm. And I think that is, because it's so easy. I think one of the things, you know, it is, you know, certainly the kindness of design when, when we feel overwhelmed by things to actually shut down to conserve energy. Mm-hmm. But then we need connection with others to, to re-engage, to, to, to use our best thinking, to come, come up with ideas and solutions. You know, the kind of cognitive optimism thing. And really, you know, there are, you know, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, my own tiny little living circumstances. You know, I am also part of, as we all are, you know, a planet which is becoming more unstable as a place to live as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like checking my privilege right now, actually, the fact that I'm worrying about where I, I live, you mm. know, because some people don't even have, you know, that their sense of peril is far more uh, acute than mine. And so actually being able to cultivate a response. I think, and I think it, I'm trying to think it might be Frankel as well. Forgive me if I've got this wrong. The idea of between the stimuli and the response is a moment. And that moment brings us choice. It's a phrase something like that. Mm. And actually, the, the, the ability, because, and it's interesting, it's the word response rather than react. Because yeah. react tends to come from our prior programming. It's emotion-led, but our response allows something to be considered, intentionality. And, you know, this is really touches on some of the theories, mm-hmm. actually, about, about hope. Well, there's like one majorly influential theory about hope. And then there's another one which... When I was studying it, like my lecturers were saying, yeah, so we've got this one, which we spend a lot of time on. And then there's this one, which is complicated AF. Okay. And so there is one which is very much about, you know, we're just talking now about, one, you know, our best response. And often, you know, we can develop that if we have a goal in mind. And one of them is about motivation and goal setting. I almost made this H for habits. Mm. <laughs> and this, is, this, is, this, this is kind of my way of I'll get, I'll doing a twofer yeah. on this yeah. one. And then the other one is like a multidisciplinary one, which covered like literature, philosophy, religion, went all over everywhere and has these components of gaining mastery, exploring your attachment history, 
you know, your survival instinct, you know, we all have that as our, at our core and our, our spirituality, our sense of being connected to something bigger. And it is kind of like going from noughts and crosses to the three-dimensional chairs to play in <laughs> 10 forward. <laughs> About literally, like, if you look at, like, I, I, I will share in the show notes, like a screen grab from one and a screenshot of the other, just for you to see how multi-layered the second one is. Yeah. But I think one of the things, you know, which we're kind of like circling around here is is, is the question of, you know, what do we hope for? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I the, the, so the big hope that I had, which got dashed, I've just explained, but the small hope I had was to spend time with someone I care about this evening. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and I hoped, I hoped for that. What, what's, what's, what do you hope for at the moment, Mark? Oh, so <laughs> much. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting because sometimes there are hopes I sort of didn't realize I had until oh. they get dashed. And then it's oh. sort of, as I think about it, it sort of becomes hard to really get too pissy about it then because it's like, well, you didn't set that. You didn't put that out as an intention. And I don't necessarily mean to the universe, but if you're mm. hoping on another person to do a thing mm. and they didn't do the thing, but you didn't really ask them to do the thing, mm. then you can't, you know, sure you can be disappointed, but not not really because you didn't set that out as a clear expectation for for that other person yeah and i had had, no no i I did that funny little verse because i had a conversation with my friend she she took me she took me i I went clothes shopping in like in an actual store for the first time since at some point in 2019 sacre bleu i know and i'm telling myself that because i spent money i don't technically have on things i don't technically need but they will give me dopamine hits for the rest of this winter that has value that that has that has value but she's saying her thing is, you know, she's saying about yeah, a disappointment with a fr- with with her partner, and how you know when she asks for things, you know, he he responds well. And I said yes, and let's be honest, there's a part of you wanting them to be a mind reader, so you don't have to constantly do the emotional labour. Anticipate of, my needs. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like a teamwork thing because because yeah. I do think it's about attunement, mm. and I think you know to go touch back on I should have done A for attachment oh second season um if we get there you know there is a quality a desire for us to be attuned to you know the caregiver thing of you know this was for some reason I'm just thinking like you know as an infant we need our caregiver to be attuned to our needs because we cannot articulate them at that point and actually having someone being empathetic and at times at times knowing us better than we know ourselves so that we can know ourselves better Mm. you know actually putting up that mirror because spotting the moment where you're doing that thing again and it's like i'm not doing a thing yeah yeah, you you do that thing you know when you get (laughs) when you get like this you do that thing (laughs) okay i guess i'm doing that thing again yeah, because we don't always have full presence and consciousness no. to ourselves, you know. And if you th- I'm just thinking kind of like neurologically, mm-hmm. you know, when things go from the limbic brain to the executive centers and, and Barocca, the language center, I might be getting that wrong. I will, I will double check for the show notes. You know, there is an emotional dampening, you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's, it's, 
we lose things in translation, into language, and so there can be an exquisite experience when someone attunes to us and meets us at that emo- emotional level before we even need to put the the energy expenditure mm. into going. Okay, it's it's almost like thinking fast and slow. You know the Dan Dan Kahneman idea. You know. We can just be in our experience without having to stop and dissect it, and then articulate it, and to think of, oh, how do I phrase this so that, <laughs> you know, and and depending on what on your level, on how on that it either communicates my needs most authentically, or it will land best with the person so that they meet it, and yes. I will let and and I will let ev- everyone has those that scale. And it's up to you and, and whichever God you choose to pray to depends, you know, yeah. uh, over where you most normally live on that one. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we, we, we could be straying into what could be another letter. Uh, I'm not sure what letter that is yet, but I'm sure you'll tell me at some point. So I, I want to <laughs> see if we can pull it back and maybe maybe have a meeting with Charles Snyder. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm just talking about this idea of, of putting things into cognition from the emotional because he look thinks of it as a cognitive process you know mm. first and foremost you know yes emotions play a, you know, a helpful secondary role but for him it's all about I mean like motivation you know and a very very basic understanding of it is kind of like three things you know one think of a goal two think of ways to get there and then three think you can reach it so what do I want what are the pathways to it? How confident do I feel about getting there? Okay. And he kind of like talks about goals, you know, like positive and negative goals. And I've talked a little bit about this, like the, the uh, Honovian array towards and against kind of things. And so do we want to move towards something or do you want to move against it? I don't think we've, we've covered that in this series yet, but I'm sure we'll get to <laughs> I think like vaguely, vaguely, I I, I, okay. I recall that because that, that's like... Yeah, I'll double check. Well, we'll go back to that. I'll add <laughs> yeah. that. And it, it, yeah, but it's 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 side the, we'll the Karen Horney. Um, because this is why I think I have spoken about okay. it because I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She talks about how uh when we are dysregulated by someone or something, we can either want to fight it, move you know, move against it, move towards it, which is pacifying, you know, people pleasing. You know, that thing I just said before of, you know, how can I say this so that it will land best with the other person? Mm-hmm. Or we want to flee, we want to move away from things. And so that's, and it's the same with, I think kind of like you can almost think of that with pretty much anything, really. You know, Snyder talks about this in like positive and negative goals, but the positive ones are, you know, sustaining something, you know, something that's good, reaching it for the first time or increasing something. And so like with a meditation thing, it might be, you know, you're, it might be sustaining a goal might be like meditating for 10 minutes for every day, reaching for the first time, you know, getting to the point when you've meditated for 10 minutes for a seven day streak and then increasing it might be, you know, my new goal is actually meditating twice a day for seven, mm-hmm. you know, a seven day mm-hmm. streak. Whereas negative goals, you know, th- this is kind of like where I have been I was with the hope that was dashed, actually. It was a negative goal because it was this idea of hoping that something never appears or that its appearance is delayed. Yes. And so 
you know, I was hoping that, you know, the the flat that I lent, I, 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 I rent won't be sold, you know, so I was hoping that that never appeared. And then, you know, now, now I've got that news, you know, I'm hoping that there's a, there's a delay, you know, with, with, with that occurring or certainly, you know, that's something I'm going to be discussing so that at least it, at least these things, can I deter it until a point when I have completed my dissertation and I've finished my master's because I don't want to think about like more things until about the 1st of May. Yeah. <laughs> you know, after that, go nuts. Yeah, but absolutely. I, I, but, but I need that kind of breathing space. You know, and it is, you know, these things of, you know, the probability of a goal can be high or low, but it's this idea of having clarity around it. And I love this from, this is one of the things that I keep, no matter how many times I read David Allen's Getting Things Done, Mm. there's always another bit of it. I go, oh shit, that was crucial. That's why I don't make as much progress as I would like to. Mm. And the thing that I picked up from his sequence was the idea of a next goal, a next action, sorry, on mm-hmm. a goal, which helps to really do these focus, the, the pathways thinking and the agency. You know, if I don't know where I'm getting or what I want quite clearly at the next action, I can't work out all the different ways I can get there. Yes, and I think that also gets into a, a thing with, with hope sometimes is that we aren't active enough in pursuing the thing that we hope for uh, because the thing that we hope for feels big and daunting and maybe there are so many steps and it takes so much to get there that the thought of how how do you do that you know i'm trying to move to an expensive city i've got Mm. so many different things that i have to figure out first but it all started with i'm not just you know I've, i've i've sat with the hope for a few years i've sat with wouldn't it be great if but i have to start to think about how many building blocks I put in place and then the building blocks for those building blocks to break to mm. start breaking it down to those next uh, actions so that that hope becomes something that I'm working towards rather than this static flag that I've planted off in the distance and that I look at occasionally and go, it'd be nice if I was over there. It's like, no, no, the, again, going back to habits, mm. everything is small iterative steps to get there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this leads me lovely on beautifully onto BJ Fogg's work. You know, because you know, and 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 I don't want to talk too much about it because he's very protective over his IP. But he does have okay. this idea of a swarm of behaviours, swarm of bees, he calls it, and it is you know, generating these you know, a multiple number of pathways. What of the what you've identified a goal. You know, what are all the different ways that you can meet it? And then actually looking at them and going, okay, so what's high impact and low impact on that? And then I think this is the crucial one, which really ties into this agency and sense of confidence is how likely will I be able to do this? You know, is it like a low or or want to do this? You know, if I don't want to do it and it's low impact, well, that can just get put in the bin straight away. But if something is high impact and it's something I enjoy doing, yes. you already clarified a whole bunch of things here. So that can really be so important for that. And actually, you know, it's really interesting you're talking about the building blocks because I think this is something that often gets overlooked and really takes me into my next question for people is that, you know, in a more, if you actually go beyond the basics of Snyder's model of, you know, think of what you want to do, different ways to get there, 
yeah, I reckon I can do it. Mm-hmm. Going back to this idea of attachment, you know, if you, you know, you if you don't have role models, if you don't have, you know, your your primary carers showing you that things can be done, that that things are possible. You know, we don't even just getting this. This this is something which I have actually really struggled with. The idea of even just having goals, because even that felt too vulnerable. I I didn't see how you would re- how it was possible to reach them. There was no one to model reaching them. You know, the there was creativity and avoidance, <laughs> mm. slightly different thing. But you know, you know, there can be triggers of loss of hope from ch- you know which from childhood, which can which can affect us through our adult life and. Yeah, for me, hope is something which, you know, to it, 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 it's fragile. It's even getting to a point of a goal because of my health and not being able to rely on myself and my, my literal physical resources to meet something can be really challenging. But we are a deeply social species. And I think this is, you know, I think you picked up on it, actually. And I, and I shared it when I said in my reframe, yes, I'm, you know, yes, and I have people who around me now who can help me if I need to move. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with your building blocks as well, where you want to move to an expensive city, it is this idea of what support do you and your support, your hopes have? Yes. Because we are, you know, as Deb Dana puts it, a deeply social species. And, you know, this is something, you know, in the Anthony Scioli, the, 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 the much more complicated three-dimensional oh, yes. <laughs> version of, 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 of hope. He talks about, you know, the mastery aspect, which is, yes, yeah, similar to what Snyder's talking about, you know, but, or, and then our survival instinct, our resilience, and what he puts it as are the way that we manage our fears and terrors. And he uses the word terror a lot, Mm. which is, you know, a really provocative word almost. You know, but it is, you know, these basic fundamental fears that, you know, we will not survive and one day we will not be here. This is the spirituality you know, this I mentioned before, this connection to something bigger. And then, you know, our attachment, our connection to others. And, you know, I had a hell of a time doing my Hope essay. Mm. Oh, my giddy aunt. Because there's no kind of, like, you, you can find Snyder's Hope uh, questionnaires on the internet. I'll put it in the show notes. The Scioli stuff is much more, many more questions, much more involved. And it basically came up with me coming up empty on quite a few, including attachment. I think particularly at that time in the pandemic and, you know, which exacerbated pre-existing social isolation for me. You know, everyone was like getting used to not, everyone was like suddenly learning on this very, very high, you know, learning, steep learning curve Mm -hmm. of what it was like not to see people. And yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know, that was like, okay, this is my bread and butter, but now I, d- I can't even go out to the grocery store, to the supermarket for my once a week experience of other people. Yes. 
which which was that was what my life was like. But he found it really interesting that because one of the things I do have is a high level of spirituality. Mm-hmm. I do have a sense of being connected to something bigger, and it's really interesting how apparently that can compensate for the lack of you know i'm connected to something even when i'm not connected to someone and i think that is a huge thing you know because you know as um he says you know hope is about love and attachment you know scody says you know it's not a private resource connected in isolation and he even suggests that you know because you know, a lot of this is, you know, having hope in other people, either that, that they will meet our needs, that they will support us, that they love us, you know, and he argues that attachment might be the linchpin from which all other forms of hope derive. And one of, I haven't watched it for a few years, but I, I know I sent it to you recently. There's a wonderful TEDx talk with Barbara Sher, the late Barbara Sher who is very clear that isolation is the dream killer, not your attitude. You know, we try and with our habits, with our goals, with our attempts at productivity and self-motivation, you know, we try and giddy ourselves up, little horsey. (laughs) And this is why I think both you and I are so... Oh, grateful to be a member of a number of communities, including the one we met through the Happy Startup School. Mm-hmm. Because it is through our connections with others that our hopes are more likely to be realized, both on a material, but also most importantly, on an emotional level. So I think we, we should um, have a look at our, our last question, which mm. is, who do you provide hope to? Uh, and scarily uh, has has something to add to this as well. Yeah, and I think you know we've talked a lot. Interestingly, you know, again to to quote the late Chris uh, Peterson, you know, he summed up positive psychology in three words: other people matter. You know, when we are thinking of hope, when we are talking of hope, throughout this whole conversation, woven through it, has been its dependence on and its reliance on and our connection with others. And as much as we may want to seek hope for ourselves, it is important to remember that we are interconnected. We, you know, I won't go into the polyvagal right now, but we co-regulate each other's nervous systems. This is how we have been biologically designed. We have evolved, you know, as a caretaking species. And the ability to give someone hope is, as someone who has received it on occasion, uh, when I say on occasion, I mean having moments which have been so sustaining that they have carried me through years of deprivation. Mm. Being able to give someone hope is a gift beyond jewels. In my, in my very humble uh, estimation. And honestly, it's, it's not dissimilar to offering someone a secure level of attachment to you. You know, the, the, Scioli and Billa 
talk about three components availability presence and contact you know availability being able to access someone you mentioned before you know anticipate my needs <laughs> you know almost kind of being able to anticipate that someone will be there for you mm. you know and to do so you know reliably and then this idea of presence when they are with you are they really with you mm. can we feel safe with them and i definitely have talked spoken about our neuroreceptive sense that's always working out is this a warning or welcome offering safety which we can do through authenticity there's no we're not picking up two signals at the same time everything is it, it is congruence there and then this idea of focus actually you know I, I, one of my favorite quotes is forever you know, John Tarrant, the Roche, Buddhist Roshi, attention is the most basic form of love. Through it, we bless and are blessed. You know, actually being not someone's whole world, but actually being able to know that someone will put things down and go, okay, tell me everything. To be there, you know, the focus of you. And then this idea of contact, you know, this is, this, you know, the regularity, this involvement, the repetition of it. And Again, you know, I'm talking about like the mixed, mixed signals in a direct communication, but also clarity in contact. You know, I think one of the curses of the modern world of dating is situationships. You know, being involved with people, but not knowing if you're involved with them. Mm. <laughs> and actually, you know, having the, having the conversation, you know, yes. are, are we, are we, are we in a, are yeah. we, a th- are we, a th- are we are changing we our Facebook status? Like that's, that's, <laughs> oh, you know. no, that, that's like, I mean, that's way beyond. <laughs> First of all, it's like, are we dating? dating? Are we, are we just hanging out and having sex? I can't mm. work out what, you know, yeah. because there is so much. So, I mean, I've got the benefits, but are we friends? Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think. There's something here about, well, the words being a good friend comes to my mind. Mm. Being that place of rest for another. Because I think, you no, know, when, when I am still, when I am rested, when I feel resourced, when I feel safe, hope rises from me like a, a quiet babbling brook. It just needs the the right conditions sometimes for that that spring to emerge effortlessly and innately. Makes me think a little bit of the idea of, of mindfulness, which is that the sun is always visible, but it's hidden behind the clouds. We we always have these things, we always have the these capabilities, but we just lose sight of them sometimes. Yeah. Well, why not let's uh, finish up with some Emily Dickinson? I have a hankering for some Dickinson. <laughs> and only you provide what I seek. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I, I was anticipating this. I, I, I was attuned to this and I, and I was poised and ready so that I may meet your emotional need. Thank you. I think one of the most famous poems about hope is Emily Dickinson and hope is the thing with feathers. And yes, I'll be delighted to bring us to a close with this short verse. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words. 
and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. The A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pierce and me, Mark Steadman. It's produced by Origin, and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com, where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, whichever way is easiest for you. Take care, and do join us again next week on the A to Z of Happiness. Thank you.